President Sanders has something to say. I've asked for special privilege tonight. First of all, I want to remind you of uh, Friday night, uh, we celebrate uh, HLC, Higher Learning Commission Accreditation, and we also have a concert here at 7 o'clock with Steve Adams' family. I encourage you to be here. Uh, the thing about Steve Adams and his sons is that uh, he will emphasize the importance of family, of Christian family. And for those of you who have families, you'll want to have your children here because it'll be a special evening. Special privilege I've asked for tonight is the fact that our chaplain usually just is chaplain. There's no real introduction ever made. And I got to thinking, uh, we need to recognize that we have the finest chaplain in the country right here in our chapel. We really do. <laughs> Professor Like occupies a, a special chair, the first chair at the college, faculty chair for pastoral care. That would be the Eugene and Faye Stowe chair, a position of honor. In addition to that, he uh, graduated from Olivet with a degree in uh, music education. He used that as a teacher and also on staff uh, part of the time with uh, Pastor Street over at uh, the church next door. They worked together in Wisconsin. And then uh, he has a fine family, three fine children, his wife, Marilyn. Felt called to go on into ministry as a pastor himself and came to seminary where he was music director at Knoll Avenue Church and, and there on, the, uh, on staff there until he graduated from seminary. I discovered him one day while he was in seminary, brought him to Missouri as a church planter. And uh, so many of you may be interested in that kind of thing. He did a splendid job of planting a church in Columbia, Missouri. And then when we needed someone to fill the role that uh, he has filled here, we looked to Alan Like. He always has touched my heart, and uh, my daughter was in his church in Columbia, Columbia Missouri, or actually, yeah, Columbia, Missouri. Uh, she worked at Jeff City, so I have to get that straight in my mind. And so uh, she has great respect for his ministry as well as Jan and I do. So this evening we present to you and I present to you our fine chaplain, Alan Like, as our speaker for the evening. Hi, um, I want to talk a little bit about something I saw in the news. Um, actually read it in the news. What's your home page on your computer? NBC, my utmost for his highest. MSN, Fox, Apple, Youth Specialties. Say again? Adelphia. I, I, I use Google News. Anybody use the Google News page? Uh, oh, good. All right. We'll start a club, Ron. <laughs> Well, I, I, was reading, I was reading through it, and the reason why I like to do it is it gives me the headlines, and then if I see one of the headlines and I want to read some more news about it, then, I will, um, then, I'll, then I'll chase the story and sometimes chase the story and chase the story and chase the story. So I was, I was reading it a little while ago, and I came across, um, came across an article that actually uh, concerned me a little bit. Uh, evidently, evidently, there's a plan... Let me make sure that I get my notes right. Um, evidently, there's a, there's a government plan that's intended to reinforce homeland security in general, and, and the Patriot Act in particular. The, the idea behind the plan is to make loyalty to the United States everyone's first priority. Suggestion is 
that allegiance to the country needs to be just ratcheted up a notch. It, it needs to take precedence over everything else. And so the notion is, is that they will put this new plan in effect, and when they do, it'll boost the morale of the troops overseas. It will um, reinforce, help mobilize the population around this central goal, this common goal of the United States being the preeminent force in the world. Gaining that kind of unity is going to no doubt think those who oppose us is going to cause them to think twice. Well, based on what I read, you could tell that the ACL, ACLU was just outraged, just outraged by it. They're protesting the plan's impact on civil liberties. They're questioning whether or not it's possible to legislate patriotism. They're threatening to file suit in federal court to keep the plan from, from ever getting even considered, and they're trying to rally folks from, from their side of the aisle. Well, at the same time, there are a number of religious leaders who have expressed concerns about the impact that it's going to have on religious freedom. I mean, folks from the right and from the, let's see, right and the left and the center of the religious spectrum are all afraid that this attempt to bolster national patriotism, uh, well intended, uh, may compromise our First Amendment rights, which include an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Religious leaders are all for strengthening the social fabric of the nation, but they're concerned that coerced allegiance to the country compromises one's freedom of expression of their faith. Well, according to the article, the opposition to the plan is no surprise. So the sponsors felt so strongly about the need to put it in place that they've created this ad campaign to sell the nation and the idea. So they've recruited some celebrities who are known as patriots, known as for their patriotism. They're going to make TV commercials and radio ads, and they're going to produce some podcasts. The campaign slogan is, the US, a the U.S. rocks, the U.S. rules, U.S., number one. Final piece to the plan is to craft legislation that's going to make it a misdemeanor to make public statements that are considered anti-patriotic. Legal slap on the wrist is intended really to get everybody's attention. The sponsors, though, are reserving the right to press for more severe penalties if the plan's approved. Bottom line? Bottom line. An allegiance to an entity other than the United States will eventually be against the law. The country's status in the world is at stake. Patriotism is to prevail. Well, the story I just told you is not true. But the scenario is not hard to imagine, is it? See, it's always, be the it's always been the tendency of those in power to want to enforce their authority by demanding allegiance from the people they serve. It was like that day, it was like that in Paul's day, too, the Roman Empire was in power. The emperors were expected unquestioned loyalty toward Rome. Eventually, some of the Caesars, some of the emperors, wanted total allegiance to themselves, too. So much so that Emperor Nero, you know, crazy Nero, 
He was emperor from 54 to 68 AD. He was the ruling emperor when Paul was around and when Paul wrote to the Philippian church. He had himself ascribed as Hotupantu Cosmu Kurios. Did I say that right? Okay. Those of you who are in Greek 3, did I say that right? Okay, thank you very much. I practice. <laughs> yeah, he said only because Dan said that I had said it right. Ho to Panto Cosmu Kurios, the Lord of all the world. Kurios, Lord, Nero, Kurios of all the world. Interesting word, this word, kurios. It really had different meanings in Paul's day depending on who was using it and how it was being used. For example, uh, the word kurios could mean, could be described, could be translated uh, like our word mister or our word sir. So most of the time when the word kurios occurs in the Gospels, even when it refers to Jesus, they are calling him mister. They're calling him sir. It was a word of common courtesy. Though I remember the first day somebody said sir to me, and I thought I had just aged 10 years. <laughs> I don't like the word sir. Mr. is all right. Sir, I mean. Uh, the word curios can also, was also translated as master. So if you were a slave in Paul's time and you were owned by someone else, it's the word that you would use when you were, when you were discussing things with your owner. The idea of masters also what some of those early Caesars had in mind. They wanted the people of the empire to know that they were the rulers. They were the sovereigns. They were Lord. The Caesar was master. And so it's the same kind of meaning here that the apostles had in mind when they referred to Jesus after his death, after his resurrection. They and the other New Testament believers recognized Jesus as their curios, their master, their Lord. Even though to do so meant that Caesar was not curios to them. One writer put it this way, this was a challenge not only to the political loyalties of the time, but also a challenge to the whole Roman social ethos. As far as the Romans were concerned, only one person could be curios, and that was Caesar. Certainly not Jesus. There's a third way that the word was used. The word began to take on some religious meanings, some religious connotations. So Emperor Caligua, Calig, you know, I practiced it all day, and I got it right until now. Caligula, there. Caligula and Nero both, both wanted more than just this master kind of thing. They wanted other people to begin to worship them. So they developed these emperor cults. They developed emperor worship. They wanted people to call them curios, more than master in mind. They wanted people to recognize them as gods, as deities, as divine beings. And Christians used the word curios in the same way when they were talking about Jesus. 
They recognized him as the anointed one. They recognized him as the Christ, the Messiah of the one true God. So calling Jesus Curios was the Christian's way of recognizing that he was anointed by God. One commentator said that God exalted him, meaning Jesus. God enthroned him. God conferred on him this superlative title. God purposed that created beings worship and obey him. They were saying that Jesus is the Christ. He is curios. He's not just mister. He's not even just master. He's Messiah sent from God. Getting ready for the message, though, I, um, I discovered that identifying Jesus as Lord as Curios took on an even deeper meaning for some of those first century Christians. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, all those of you who have had intro to Old Testament, raise your hands. Okay, you know about Septuagint? Okay, so this Greek translation of the Old Testament more often than not, when they wanted to translate the sacred word for God, Yahweh, or Y-H-W-H, the Tetragrammaton, see, I got that one up. That sacred word for God, over 6,000 times they used the Greek word, kurios. Kurios. Indications are that early on in the life of the church, Christians recognized Jesus as God not just one sent from God. Eugene Nida wrote, when Jesus is, as, is acclaimed as Lord, as Curios, he is installed in the place which properly belongs to God alone. When Jesus is acclaimed as Lord, he is installed in the place which properly belongs to God alone. To say that Jesus was curious is to say that Jesus was more than a mister, more than master, even more than Messiah. It was to say that Jesus, the Christ, is God. To say that Jesus is curious is to recognize him in all of his humanity, but also in all of his divinity. But... But what kind of Lord, what kind of curios humbles himself? What kind of curios becomes a servant? What kind of Lord agrees to be crucified? Well, it's the kind of Lord who's been resurrected. Amen? It's the kind of Lord who's been exalted. It's the kind of Lord who's been named above all names. It is the kind of Lord who is God. But is he? I mean, is he God? All in favor say aye. I want to ask you to answer this question. Is he our God? You see, I think the point of the passage is not just to identify Jesus as Mr. Curios, I mean, who he was, or to identify him as Master Curios, what he did, or even to identify him as Messiah Curios, why he came. 
because it is possible to do all of that without identifying him as God. People do it all the time. They recognize his historical importance. They recognize his religious importance. They recognize the change that he's created in Western culture. But they don't recognize him as God. I think Paul had more in mind here. When he wrote, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is curious, he did so not only to encourage the believer's faith in Jesus because they were in a place where to say anything other than Caesar's curious would get him in trouble, politically, socially, interpersonally. So he did it not only to encourage their faith, he did it to make sure that Jesus the Christ was indeed the God of their lives. Reminds me of a song from, uh, by Stephen Curtis Chapman. I don't know the song, I only know the line. The line says, God is God and I am not. God is God, I am not. See, either Jesus Christ is curious or something else is. Jesus Christ is curious or someone else is. It's never a both and, it is always an either or. Jesus Christ is Lord or he's not. Back in December 10th, um, a guy by the name of Don, Tom Fox. He was a member of a Christian peacemaker team uh, that was in Iraq. Uh, they had a daily blog, and back on December 10th, this is what Tom Fox wrote about their mission in Iraq. The Christian peacemaker team went through a discernment process seeking to identify aspects of our work here in Iraq that are compelling enough to continue the project and comparing them with the costs, financial and psychological and physical, that are aspects of the project. It was a healthy assignment, but it led me to a somewhat larger question. The question Fox asked, they asked, why are we here? He continues, if I understand the message of God, his response to that question is that we are to take a part in the creation of the peaceful realm of God. And again, if I understand the message of God, how we take part in the creation of this realm is to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, our neighbors and our enemies as ourselves and as we love God. In its essential form, different aspects of love bring about the creation of the peaceable realm of God. So why are we here? We are here to root out all aspects of dehumanization that exists with us. We are here to stand with those being dehumanized by oppressors and stand firm against that dehumanization. We are here to stop people, including ourselves, from dehumanizing any of God's children, no matter how much they, de de they, dehumanize. <laughs> they dehumanize their souls, their own souls. He wrote it on December 10th, 2005. The next day, Tom Fox and three others were captured by insurgents in Iraq. The others have been held since. Last 
week, March 10, they found Tom Fox's body. Been tortured, bound, and killed. After the Pentagon identified the uh, Christian peacemaking team and they finally made their connections, on the 13th, they, um, they placed him in a casket and they covered his casket with a flag, which was pretty unusual for a civilian. And then one of the people kept vigil over his body until he was boarded on the transport plane. And the last thing they said as they loaded Tom Fox's body was, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Tom Fox said, with his life, Jesus Christ is Lord, and I am not. And his life and this word asks us to say the same thing. Jesus Christ is Lord, and I am not. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is curios to the glory of God the Father, the word of the Lord. So sing with me. Let's pray together. We pray, Father, make that so. And anything that's in the way of making that true in our lives, we give it to you. Anyone that's in the way of making that true in our lives, we give them to you. And we ask for the privilege to bear in our lives the marks, the heart, the love of Jesus so that everyone who knows us, everyone who sees us, will be reminded that Jesus Christ is Lord and we are not. And we give you praise for that being a possibility because you make it so. We pray it in your name. Amen. We're dismissed.